0: All right, so we're in Luke chapter 5, like I said, verse 4 through 7. That's the word of God to Grace Community Church this morning. Uh, this, you know, Jesus, right in the middle of teaching, gives an amazing object lesson. And if you like titles, maybe that's a title you could put at the top of your page, an amazing object lesson from Jesus. Now, before we read it, I want to mention just a few things about the context is here. If you broaden it out and you're looking at Luke chapter 4 and Luke chapter 5, you're right in the middle of Jesus' earthly ministry. And His earthly ministry is a teaching ministry. And so what we see in Luke 4 and Luke 5 is Jesus is going in a synagogue, teaching the Word of God. Going to another synagogue, teaching the Word of God. Preaching the Gospel, teaching the Word of God. This is what He's doing. one place it says that he He opens up the scroll, He reads from the prophet Isaiah, He sits down and begins to teach, and some people love it, and some people try to throw him off a cliff, but nonetheless, this is the teaching ministry of Jesus. It's being exalted. Our our Savior was one who who taught, and right in the midst of his teaching, in verse 4 and 5, we get this object lesson. So if you begin in chapter 5, verse 1, it's telling us about this one occasion where now he's not teaching in the synagogue, but he's actually beside the Sea of Galilee, or as it says here, the Lake of Gennesaret. And he's standing beside this lake, and he's teaching the Word of God to the multitudes that are pressing in to hear the Word of God. Well, there's a couple of boats behind him, and one of them belongs to Simon Peter. And so because the crowds are pressing in, he hops in to Simon Peter's boat, and he continues to preach and teach to these crowds pressing in From Peter's boat. And then at the end of his teaching, we get this object lesson. So read it with me. Look at verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we told all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Now, I want you to try to envision this for a moment. Let's all together try to envision this scene and what's going on here. Try to put yourself, maybe put yourself into this situation. In order to bring some clarity, I'll try to mention uh, this object lesson under four headings. And so, if you like to jot things down, you might can jot down these four headings. So, number one is the command. There's a command that is given by Jesus, the command. And you see it right there in verse 4. Where Jesus says, he's done teaching, and he says, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So you imagine this? The crowds are leaned in. They're hanging on his every word. What is this man teaching? They're listening to the teaching of Jesus. Jesus stops the teaching, looks at these frustrated and wearied fishermen. Been fishing all night and caught nothing. And he says, here's what I want you to do. Go out into the deep. Push out us out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. It's an authoritative command. I love the authority of Jesus. He doesn't ask him. He doesn't say, hey, I want you to consider a good idea. Maybe you should go fishing now. He tells them, go out into the deep, and this is what I'm commanding you to do. Let down your nets for a catch. This is the day that the carpenter looked at the professional fisherman and told him how to run his business. This is a good reminder to us that, that That when you're in Christ Jesus, when you're a follower of Christ, that there's not one area of your life that Christ doesn't put His finger on. Nothing goes untouched. He puts His finger into all of your business. And He does that with Peter. The carpenter is telling the professional fisherman how to fish. Second heading is the difficulty. The difficulty that's here. And you see that in verse 5. And Simon answered, Master, we told all night and took nothing that's the difficulty that here's what here's what they just came out of all night long they've been fishing and this is a big deal this isn't a hobby for them this is his business this is how he feeds his family and all night we've been toiling and we've caught nothing it's been fruitless labor all night long And now you're telling us to go again as they're sitting there cleaning things up and washing out their nets and mending their nets getting ready to put things up for the day, Jesus wants to send them back out. It's a difficult, it's a difficult thing. It's bad timing. All professional fishermen know that you, you catch fish the best at night time, and yet Jesus wants them to go out at, a, at the wrong time. Uh, it's, it's the wrong place. They've been fishing. There's no fish here. We've been fishing in this spot, and he wants us to go into this same place where we've caught nothing. It's, the, it's bad timing. It's the wrong place. It's against expert advice. I'm the professional fisherman, Peter could have said. It's against expert advice. It's it's just a difficult command to obey. Not to mention, they're putting everything up. And this is a fishing enterprise. You're talking about a large boat that could carry all the disciples. It could carry a crew of people. You're talking about massive nets. Massive nets that when they're full can sink a boat. So this massive enterprise, they're putting everything up and he wants them to get it all back out. Get it all back out. Go out into the deep and put down your nets for a catch. This is a difficult command for Peter to obey. Third heading, for clarity's sake, is Peter's faith. Peter's faith. And you see it in verse 5 again. It says, he says, Master, we told all night, took nothing, but here's the faith. but, at your word, I will let down the nets. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Now, I'm not sure if Peter was, was was absolutely all in just yet. He's seen some amazing things. At this point, he had seen Jesus teach. Uh, Jesus had healed his mother-in-law, made his wife happy. And so... He's seen some amazing things here, but it's not, I don't know that he's fully all in just yet, but he's in just enough to trust Jesus. Jesus, we've been tolling all night, he caught nothing. Okay, but it's like he remembers. Nevertheless, at your word, we'll do what you say. At your word, we'll take your word for it. We'll let down the nets. Now, I think we'll, we'll get to this more in a minute, but that ought to be a saying that's constantly on our lips. All these things come up, difficulties in life, whatever it might be. And then we say, but at your word. we got a command from Jesus that commands hard to obey, but at your word. At your word, whatever you say, Lord. It's a a response of faith that you believe his word. Fourth heading would be the result. The result. And you see it in verse 6 and 7 as they obey Jesus at his word. Verse 6 says, they let down the nets and they enclose a massive number of fish. The nets begin to break. Can you imagine it? That all the fish are in this net and all of a sudden off the boat something snaps here and off the boat something snaps on this side and the nets are beginning to break And, and, and Peter and those with him call out to the other boat that's their partners and they call, help, help us. We've got all these fish and the nets are breaking. Come help us. And then they come and they help and they begin to take these fish and pile them into the boats and the boats start sinking. The boat starts sinking. This is a frantic moment. Can you put yourself in this moment that you obey Jesus and now it's this frantic moment that the ship is going down. The boats are going down because of the blessing of Jesus. This would have been a surprising moment, probably the biggest catch of Peter's life. This would have been uh, Peter's biggest payday, if they can keep the boats from going to the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. This, this is, uh, uh, hey, business is booming right now. I have all these fish I'm about to unload in the marketplace. If we can just get these fish back to land. And this is the result, this is the result of them obeying Jesus' command. So, Jesus teaching the multitudes. That's the focus of Luke 4 and 5. He's teaching these multitudes. This is a ministry of teaching. And right in the middle, one day, when he's at, the, at Lake Gennesaret, right in the middle of that, he gives this object lesson that we just tried to imagine and we tried to put ourselves into the midst of this object lesson. you got verse 4 through 7, the command from Jesus, the difficulty, the faith of Peter, And of course, the results. Now, here's what I want to ask. This object lesson that Jesus gives in the middle or at the end of his teaching, why? What's the point? What's Jesus trying to communicate through this object lesson? What what does he want these men to see? What does he want us to see as we read this object lesson? What's Jesus trying to communicate? Now, I'll mention two main things. The first thing is this. First, Jesus is putting his divinity on display. He's putting his godness on display. He's flexing his divine nature. That's what he's doing. So Jesus is through this object lesson. As he's teaching, he gives the object lesson. And the object lesson, first of all, is meant to say, I'm not just man, I am God. That's what it's meant to say. Okay, And and so how do you know that? How how do I know that Jesus' intention was to put his divinity on display. How do I know that? And there's five reasons that are in this text that show you that. I don't have time to give you all five, but I found five. And I'm just going to give you a couple of them, okay? But there's reasons that, that you think this way. That number one reason that this object lesson is to put his divinity on display. Number one reason is just the, the act itself. Think about it. Just this act. God alone is omniscient. And yet, here's a man, and he's really a man. They have have slept in a room across from this man. They've eaten breakfast with this man, and yet he knows all things. He is omniscient. That's the biggest problem with fishing. You you can go with a professional fisherman. My cousin is one. You can go with one, and, and, and the problem is they don't know where the fish are. And they do their best, they do their best to understand, but they don't know. And here's Jesus with his omniscious, knows exactly where to go. Here's another way to think about. It. God alone is uh, omnipotent. He is a God of power. and yet here's a man. Here, here's a man that there's no restraints on his power. He tells fish where to go and they go there. I read this to my children yesterday and I, and I, and I asked them, Uh, What does this say about Jesus? When you read this this object lesson and what Jesus did, what does it say about Jesus? And my son said, well, he's showing that he's powerful. And I said, well, yeah, but I I I told him I could arm wrestle Dustin and show I'm powerful. Uh, But what he's showing is not just he's powerful, he is all-powerful. Do you get that? He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He tells... Everything what to do. He tells fish where to go. Get in my net, he says, and they do it. One time he tells Peter, Peter, we need to pay our taxes, you know, just for, just for namesake. I want you to go put a line in right there. And he knows and he directs in his power that, that right there where the line's going to go in is going to come out a fish with a coin in its mouth. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent Christ. He's man, but He's God. Fully man, fully God. And He's putting that on display in this object lesson. That's, that's a reason. Okay? That's one reason. Reason number two, and probably more convincing, reason number two that we know Jesus is flexing His divinity is because of Peter's response. Look at Peter's response in verse, in verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Now, how would you have expected Peter to respond? All these fish are caught. How would you have expected him to respond? Maybe, uh, Jesus, thank you so much for this... Biggest payday of my life. Can you help me get the boats back to the shore? Something like that. And yet, he bows down at this man's feet. You don't do that with a mere man. Peter bows down as if this man is God. And he says, leave me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord, leave me. Isn't that interesting? Jesus didn't say anything about sin right here. He didn't say anything to Peter about his sin. And yet, he sees this miracle and bows down and says, I'm so sinful, Lord. I'm so sinful. Just depart from me, Lord. I'm so sinful. Now, what are we supposed to see with that? It should drive your mind back to Isaiah chapter 6. You remember Isaiah 6? When the prophet Isaiah, it says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple, that that Isaiah comes into the presence of God. He's in the presence of the Holy One, and what's the response of his soul? He says, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Doesn't that sound like Peter? That there's something that happens when you come into the presence of God. You realize you're in His presence, and all of your sin is laid bare. It's like that beam of light that comes through your window, and you thought your air was clean. And then you see all those dust particles. And you know it. The scripture scripture says He knows our frame, He remembers that we are dust. But when you're in the presence of God, all the dust particles come forth, and you see it. Oh, a sinful man, depart from me, Lord Jesus. I'm a sinful man. Peter realizes he has come into the presence of God. Jesus is flexing his divinity with this object lesson. He's fully man, but he's fully God. Now, I think it's beautiful that this is really a good thing for us to remember when we think about salvation. When you think about salvation, this is how it always works. That you've got the holiness of Christ, the holiness of our God, And that becomes realized that I see God for who He is. I see Christ for who He is. And right in the midst of that, I see my own sinfulness. Everyone who has ever been saved, they've caught a glimpse of His glory and a glimpse of their own sinfulness. And they say something like what Peter says. Peter's saying, I'm unworthy, Lord. I'm unworthy to even carry your shoes. I'm unworthy to even bow before you. I'm unworthy to be in the same boat with you right now. And everyone that's been saved comes to that disposition of unworthiness in their sin before a holy God. And from that disposition, the cross is beautiful. It's beautiful. Without that, you've got no need. You don't see your unworthiness. You don't need the cross. You don't need a Savior. But when God opens your eyes and you see the dust particles, then your eyes are open that I need the cross. I need the one who died for me. And here's Peter in this disposition. I said I wasn't going to give you the other ones. Let me just quickly. I said five. I'll give you quickly. Number three. Notice what Peter calls Jesus. If you, if you read it carefully, before the miracle, Peter calls Him Master. Which is, it's respectful. It's complimentary. I mean, he's, he healed his mother-in-law, right? He calls Him Master. But after the miracle, he says, Oh, Lord. He calls Him God. He calls Him King. I submit to You, O oh Lord. I think maybe some of us in this room need to hear that, that we need to move from seeing Jesus as He's master, He's good. He's good. I compliment Him. I respect Him. And you need to move to submitting your life to this God-man. Fourth, there's everyone's response from verse 9 and 10. So not only Peter's response, but it says everyone's response in verse 9. It says they were astonished astonished and that word astonished is two greek words and and i think the nas probably does a little better job it says amazement had seized them they were seized with amazement as they saw what christ had done this man is the lord they were paralyzed with fear that this man is god you see this object lesson is putting his divinity on display and i'll mention that fifth one number five if you look at verse 11 what was their response It says, they forsook all. They left everything and followed Christ. They left everything and followed Christ. Listen, if Jesus is not the God-man, don't do that. The pleasures of this life are better for you. Stay in this life. Don't forsake everything if he's not the God-man. But if he flexes his divinity and you see who he is through this object lesson, you say, that's the God-man. The only proper response is to leave it all and follow him. And that's exactly what they do. Their, their response says, that's the Messiah. That's the God-man. Christ Jesus, my Lord. So, in this object lesson, what's G- Jesus aiming to communicate? His divinity. His godness. That's number one. It's the first one. The second thing, the second thing that he's aiming to communicate through this object lesson is that his followers are to be fishers of men. His followers are to be fishers of men. In other words, he's given instruction through this object lesson about the, about the life and ministry of every disciple of Jesus Christ. Fishers of men. So how do you know that? Well, you know that. You know that's his intention because right after he gives the object lesson, look at what he says in verse 10. Go to verse 10. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And here it is. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch, you will be catching men. From now on. So he gives this object lesson where he's catching multitudes of fish. And he says, Hey, fear not. From now on, you will be catching men. You will be catching, you'll be catching men. So, you know, if we thought about that for a minute. This miracle of Jesus. Is it a call to follow Jesus? Or is it a call that the followers of Jesus would be fishers of men? This miracle, this object lesson. Is it meant to communicate something about salvation and following Christ? Or something about ministry? And I would put before you both. 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 And the reason that's hard for us to get oftentimes in this culture is because we have such a messed up view of conversion. We don't understand conversion in this culture in such a way that we've created this false category that's not in the Bible that someone can be a follower of Jesus and spend their whole life and couldn't care less if a soul was saved. That's a false category. But Jesus slams these things together. This intimate connection between being a follower of Jesus and being a fisher of men. Being a follower of Jesus and being a fisher of men. You can see that very clearly in Matthew 4, 19, where Jesus looks at these men and he says, Listen, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He intimately connects these two things. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, Charles Spurgeon, the Baptist preacher from the 1800s, he, he connected them like this. He says, have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you're not saved yourself. Be sure of that. Mark Dever, a uh, uh, preacher up in D.C., pastor up in D.C., makes the connection like this. He says, if you say you follow Jesus, but you're not helping other people know and follow Jesus... I don't know what you mean by follow Jesus. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So there's a push here. Not only follow Christ because he's the God man, but my people will be fishers of men. My people will catch men. So what can we learn from this passage about being a fisher of men? I want to walk back through those, just to to answer that question. Let's walk back through those same four categories we broke the object lesson in and let's just think about that for a minute what can we learn about uh, disciples of Jesus Christ like us being fishers of men when we said number one was the command remember the command so what was the command the command was let let out into the deep go out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch that's in verse four put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch now what does it mean what does it mean, brothers and sisters of Christ, what does it mean to let down your nets for a catch? What does it mean? Well, what's Jesus doing? Right in the middle of this, what is he doing? Luke chapter five verse one, it says that the crowds are gathered around him, verse one, on one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. He's making known the word of God. He's letting down the nets to the multitudes. He's letting down the nets. He's making known the Word of God and they're coming to hear. What was He doing prior to this? Well, we'll jump up to chapter 4, verse 43. He said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And He was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. He's letting down the nets. He's preaching the gospel. He's making the Word of God known. Well, what was He doing prior to this? Go up to chapter 4, verse 31. And He went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and He was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at His teaching, for His words possessed authority." Well, what was He doing prior to this? Go to chapter 4, verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about Him went out throughout all the surrounding country, and He taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. He's teaching, He's teaching, He's letting down the nets. He's making the Word of God known. He's preaching the Gospel. An example is given right after that that says He opens the scroll in the synagogue, He reads from it, and He explains it and applies it. And like I said earlier, some love him and some want to throw him up a cliff. But he's letting down, he's letting down the nets. Teach the word of God. Preach the glorious gospel. Now, Jesus does this all throughout Israel in his ministry, right? All throughout Israel, he's letting down the nets everywhere to the multitudes, But his desire is that it happen amongst the world. That that the gospel go to the world. That the word of God be taught in all nations. That's what he desires. So how is he going to accomplish that? And notice Jesus does not go on a world tour. But rather in Matthew 28, 19 and 20 he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations speaking to his people. To his church. He hands it off to the church. says, you take it out. I did it in Israel. You do it amongst the nations. Go let down the nets, put out into the deep, and let down the nets. Now, where where should you let down the nets? Well, you can't see below the water. Jesus can. So you just you can't see below the water. You can't see the fish under there. So just let down the nets everywhere. Let it down everywhere, in your jobs, in your family, in your relationships, in the world, at the abortion place, at the college campus. Just let down the nets everywhere. You don't know where the fish are. You don't know where the catch is going to happen. When should you do it? When should you let down your nets for a catch? Well, the Scripture says there's only two appropriate times to preach the Word. 2 Timothy two says, in season and out of season often let down the nets let let down the nets preach the word preach the gospel that's the push grace community church are you letting down the nets is your mindset when you show up in a meeting like this and knowing that there are lost people amongst to let down the nets is it to get the word of god out is it to preach the gospel is it to advance his kingdom by the glorious gospel going into people's ears and saving their souls is that your mindset grace community church is that your heart Now go to that second heading I mentioned. The difficulty. Remember verse 5? The difficulty first is is where Peter says, uh, God, we've been toiling all night and caught nothing. We've been going about fruitless fishing all night long. And that was the difficulty. Have you ever felt like that? You ever felt like, you know, you hear something like what I'm saying, brothers and sisters, let down the nets, preach the word. And you ever felt when somebody said that? I've been doing that and nothing coming of it. I'm preaching the gospel and nobody's getting saved. My labor feels like it's in vain. I've been toiling all night and caught nothing. Have you, ever, have you ever felt like that? Has that ever discouraged you? And I want to encourage you not to let seemingly fruitless toil discourage you from letting down the nets. You can't control the catch, but you can let down the nets. Galatians 6.9 says, says, Let us not grow weary in doing good. In due season we'll reap if you don't lose heart. Brothers and sisters, those who lose heart, don't put down the net. Don't grow weary in doing good. In due season you'll reap if you do not lose heart. That third heading, Peter's faith. His faith is, I've been toiling all night he caught nothing. Here's here's Peter's faith. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the nets. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the nets. Grace Community Church, listen to me. From now on, you will catch men. Put out into the deep and let down your nets. Now, when I say that to you, what objections rise in your heart? What objection sits there in your heart and it's in your mind? An objection to me telling you, put out into the deep and let down your nets. What objections arise there? And whatever it is, I want to encourage you to relentlessly apply Peter's words to it. Nevertheless, at your word. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the nets. But God, I'm not, I'm not extroverted enough, God. Nevertheless, at your word. God, I'm not bold enough. Some people are so bold. And I'm not bold enough, God. Nevertheless, at Your Word, I believe in You. I don't believe in my extrovertus. I don't believe in my boldness. I believe in You. I trust in You. Nevertheless, at Your Word. But God, I'm not articulate enough. I can't articulate things like others. Nevertheless, You told me to put down the nets. You told me to preach the Word. Nevertheless, at Your Word, it's an act of faith. But God, I'm so weak. I'm so weak, God. And don't you only use the strong? As Christ says, no, I use the weak things of the world to shame the strong. I use the weak things of the world to shame the strong. I want to encourage us to have Peter's faith. Nevertheless, at your word. In that fourth category, the results. You see it in verse 6, you know. It says in verse 6, a large number, a large number of fish entered into these nets. Now, it's interesting that that same Greek word, you can go find it in the book of Acts, when the, the early church was letting down the nets of the gospel, and it says a large number, over and over, the same Greek word, of multitudes and multitudes and multitudes coming to Christ. Just an interesting connection there. Now, can we guarantee results that souls will be saved? Can we guarantee that? If you preach the gospel, if you're faithful and you let down nets, multitudes, a large number of fish will come into the net. Can we guarantee that? And I hope you, think, I hope you say no. Because here's what I can't promise. I can't promise that if you obey Jesus and you let down the nets, you preach the gospel, I can't promise that multitudes will be converted day in and day out. You might be like Jeremiah, just be faithful and nobody hears you for 20 years. I don't know. But here's what I can promise you. Here's what I can promise you. If you don't let down the nets, you will not catch fish. I promise you that you don't let down the nets, you cannot catch fish. I'll I'll promise you something even more encouraging. Jesus will promise you something more encouraging. That our Savior promises he will build his church. Matthew 16, 18. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So you labor and you let down those nets with that promise at your back. I will build my church. Another promise from the Lord that there will be a people from every nation tribe, nation tribe and tongue that will be saved Matthew 24:14 This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come you see, you labor in preaching the gospel and making his word known and teaching it here and teaching it in this group and teaching it to this individual and this coworker and this family member and this child. And you do that with this promise at your back that Jesus will build his church and all nations, all nations will have a people that are devoted to Christ. You labor with beautiful promises at your back. Now, that's our passage, our passage of Scripture. I've got just a few ways that I want us to respond to um, this object lesson and what we're looking at in Luke chapter 5, just a few ways. In fact, i got three ways. i got a lot of numbers today. I hope I'm not confusing you. I've got three ways I want us to respond to this passage of Scripture, and one of them is just to remember what God has done, okay? Okay. Um, you know, as I say the set things I'm saying to you right now, and, and, and if the Holy Spirit knows that you need to be pushed, prodded, corrected, rebuked, whatever it is, He knows that I don't. And so if God wants to do that, praise the living God. But here's something else, another angle that's on my heart that I want, that I want, to, I want to press into. I want you to be refreshed in the mission of God. I want you to be encouraged, refreshed, uh, restored in the mission of God, to let down the nest. That's what I want for Grace Community Church. Is what I thought about as I was thinking about this passage. And one way to do that is to remember what God has done. May we never be like those nine lepers that were healed by Jesus and left and never came back to bow down, remember what He did, and give Him worship. One of them did. We want to be like that one leper that remembered the one who had healed him and came and worshipped him. And so I want us to take some time just to remember, and I was taking time this week just to remember what God has done in this church. And I, and I was remembering that from the very beginning, we, we pray at this, at Grace Community Church, there, was, there were prayers that God would deliver us from things like intellectualism that what we noticed all around us is is sound doctrine is massively important. Amen? It's so important. But yet all around us we see people, see churches and, and groups that are falling in to this sound doctrine, but it just seems like intellectualism. There's not a thirst for the mission of God in the midst of their sound doctrine. And we pray God deliver us from that. God, don't let us be like that. Let us be men and women of sound doctrine, and yet men and women who are fishers of men. And God has done that. I want to encourage you that God has helped us. We're not perfect, but God has delivered us from these things. And God has helped us in being zealous for the mission of God. I begin to think about different uh, stories in this church of the way God has saved souls. I remembered, uh, I was thinking specifically, especially moved by remembering John Chavez's conversion. You remember how John Chavez, our brother, was saved? That A couple members of our church um, uh, had some connections in Peru, so they went there. And just so happened, as they're there, they, they, meet, they meet this guy, John Chavez. I think they knew of him a little bit from the past. But they meet John Chavez, and they begin to talk with him and share the truth with him. And just so happens, he's living in California at the time, just visiting home. And he's in California, and he's in ridiculous amounts of sin in California, and he's losing everything and he's living out of his car in California. So these brothers, this, 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 uh, members of our church come back and they begin to invite John Chavez to come and live, come live with them in Mississippi. And so he moves... Remember, John moves to Mississippi and he begins to get around the church, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and he starts seeing things about the seriousness of the way these people take the word and the love for for the Lord Jesus Christ amongst these people and, and, and and, and how they love each other and care for each other. And he becomes incredibly convicted. And he says, I'm not a Christian. He had thought that he was a Christian and realized that he wasn't. And he was converted, praise to the living God. And where is he now? Then he's raised, he's raised up into maturity, and then we send him out, and now he's one of these missionaries that's in Peru. And we get a picture last week of him standing in front of a group, preaching the living Word of God to 14 locals sitting around listening to the Gospel. It's beautiful what God's done. I thought about, uh, many of you might know, not know this one, this is from, from pretty early on, but Keith and, and Robin Smith early on. That they, Keith and Robin Smith would come to the church meeting, and they would be here, and they would never take the Lord's supper, and we would wonder what, why, you know, what are they? Are they here because they they're drawn to Christ? Are they here because uh, their kids are here? Why are they here? And they would come week after week, and I, and I remember one girl in particular telling me that she asked Miss Robin, uh, "Robin, how did you come to Christ?" and and Miss Robin said, "I haven't," which shocked her, surprised her. And, and there was this realization that she wasn't in Christ. And then remembering that first Sunday where they come, to, God opens their eyes, they come to Christ and getting to take the Lord's Supper with Keith and Robin Smith. Or similar things with my own dad that my dad shows up around this body again and again and again. And he's hearing the gospel from here and he's hearing the gospel from you and he's not taking the Lord's Supper. And that first Sunday where he comes to Christ and we, we take of the Lord's Supper together. Beautiful things happening. I was thinking about uh, Jeremy Brandon, where our, our, uh, our brother Rollins and, and, and Stephanie, Jeremy is Stephanie's brother, I know y'all know that, most of you know that. And, and Jeremy's in this life of, of sin and, and drunkenness and drugs, and he's in and out of rehabs and all these things. And Rollins and, and Stephanie begin to engage him with the gospel. And that man's saved, that man's converted, and one of our best friends in Christ right now. Been a part of this church for a while. I thought about God moving amongst families in this church. I want you to be encouraged about what God has done. I thought about Him moving amongst families in this church. There's 196 members in this church. Y'all know how many children? 117. 117. Yeah. 12 of those children through the means of, of adoption and, and foster care. Beautiful stuff like that. 117 children growing up in this church. And listen, God's at work among families. I, I remember us praying for the pools, going to get, get, uh, who are so close to us now, going to get their children from Ukraine. And, and Victoria Poole there in the Ukraine, where she may have never heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ clearly. And she comes back, and I remember her, her contacting me and saying, God has saved me and I want to be baptized, and I'm hearing her testimony that my daddy read the Bible to me uh, a night after night after night after night, and God convicted me and saved my soul, and now she's a member of this church. Or I think about what you're about to hear today. I won't give it away too much, but of Avery's about to give us a testimony. She gets baptized today. God's at work among the families. There's 117 children growing up in this church. Or I think about God rescuing people from cults. Rescuing people from cults in this church. Our brother, you know, you guys know our brother Entrell. You remember Antrell, um, uh, He, You know, a few years back, He's online, and he's, and he's listening to, to these videos about the things of God, and he comes across Ray Comfort. Uh, you know, Ray Comfort are those videos where he's preaching the gospel to people on campuses and stuff. And he comes across those videos, and he hates it. And he loves it. Then he hates it. He loves it, and he's getting drawn in, and, and, and God, I, I believe, at that moment begins uh, to draw him and, and possibly saves his soul, and all of a sudden, just so happened, he's walking on Jackson State's campus, and he just overhears Adam Burks sharing the gospel with somebody, not with him, but with somebody else, and man, he sounds like Ray Comfort, <laughs> and he begins to be drawn in to hear, and, and Adam begins to invite Entrail to our church. trails in the midst of a cult at that time, a, a false gospel Pentecostal cult. And he's right in the middle of that at that time. So Adam begins to invite him to church. And, and for whatever reason, Intro won't come. And so Intro has to go back to Meridian uh, for, for some sort of internship. And just so happened, his boss is Jake Crouch, another member of the church. It's his dad. And his dad begins to share with us. And his dad says, hey, you know, you, there's a church down there you ought to go to. My son's church. And it's the same church. So Intro takes as a sign from God. He should probably go to that church. And he shows up and he's delivered from cults. And he invites uh, another brother and sister that were, that were very recently after that or right at that same time converted. DeMario and Deshaun, that are caught up in the midst of prosperity and word of faith, false gospel. And he invites them to the church and those are our brothers and sisters in Christ now. Members of this Church. More recently, I think about Jeremy and Ivory Williams, brand new members of this church, that another member of our church, Michael Crocker, begins to work with Jeremy Williams and preach the gospel. And in the, and in the midst of that, this false cult that Jeremy and Ivory are a part of, this cult, they don't believe Jesus is God. So Michael begins to engage that. Jeremy says, amen, I believe it, Jesus is God. They come out of the cult and Ivory is saved in the process. And they're members of our, our church now. And you could go on and on. We've desired to plant churches all over this region, and God's been opening doors for that. We were desiring that God would use us among unreached people groups in the nations, and God's been opening doors for that. Do you remember some of you being uh, just about 30 or so members in this church with a longing to see the nation saved, but no idea how we were going to have contact amongst unreached people groups? And here we are seven years later, and there's work in Peru, and Bolivia, and India, and Iraq. We're sending a brother and sister to China in August. We got an intern from Moldova that'll be going back there to preach the gospel and build churches there. Beautiful stuff that God is doing. So brothers and sisters in Christ, don't just hear a prod from me to let down the nets. Think about what God has done. Be encouraged. Keep putting the nest down. God is doing His work. He knows where the fish are. So please remember those things and encourage my soul this week. second way that we can respond uh, to Jesus' words is <clears throat> Jesus says, for now on you will be catching men. In a way that we can respond is that uh, our sister Katie Simple is about to be sent out to go preach the gospel, make disciples in Peru. And so, you know, Acts 13.3 speaks about uh, they, they laid hands on Paul and Barnabas and sent them out to the work. And so a way we can respond is to lay hands on our sister Katie as she goes out to let down nets in Peru. Katie, where's Katie? Katie, stop right there just a second because I'm going to get you to sit over there. No, just stand up. Um, you know, church gathered. I know you've had a lot of people talking about this, but just with the church gathered here, formally speaking, about to lay hands on you, send you out and pray for you right now. That's so what we're going to do is pray for her as a response to this teaching. Uh, sister, we love you. We are so thankful. And I'm speaking for everybody here that's in Christ. So thankful. You have been such a benefit to this church. You have preached the gospel to the young people. You've been bold with the gospel at the abortion place. You've built us up and encouraged our souls. And we praise the living God for you. And we hate to see you go. But if you're going to go, we're thankful that you're going to help in Peru to put down the nets there. Most of you know this from what Dustin said earlier, but she'll be going for about at least six months, but looking long term to help the Peru team there. So let's take time now. Here's what we want to do. Uh, Katie, can you just sit right in the middle, somebody put her a chair right there in the middle, and we're going to gather around her and just pray, and I'm going to start us off in prayer, and Tony Ballard is going to pray as well, and then Dustin's going to close us, and we're just going to take some time, and, and don't go home after this, I got one more response, uh, but we're going to take some time to get around her and lay hands on her. All right, I got one more way, and we need to respond to Luke 5. Everybody get settled. Um, so the third way we can respond to this text is uh, we're going to see three people be baptized today. And so from these three people, we're going to hear the story of how the net was let down in their life and they were caught. <laughs> uh, they were caught by Christ. And So we're going to hear three uh, people give their testimony and see them baptized. So I would encourage you to lean in and to rejoice in what Christ has done. Every salvation of soul is a work of the Lord Jesus Christ open and eyes.